from grain to glass, this show is dedicated to helping you make the best beer possible. So strap in and hold on to your mash tons. We're Homebrew Bound. Welcome to Homebrew Bound. I'm Casey. And Miles isn't here. Uh, replacing Miles this week is uh, Thomas or Tom. Which one do you prefer? Oh, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, sorry. I, I turned down the wrong one. <laughs> that was my bad. So uh, which one do you prefer? Tom, Tom or Thomas? Tom. Tom? All right. Uh, yeah, so uh, Tom is joining us this week. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about winemaking. Uh, it's something that I literally know nothing about, so this should be pretty fun. I didn't know anything either. <laughs> I think, yeah, well, that's that's how most of us start, right? Not not knowing anything right off the bat and just exactly. slowly building up that knowledge base. Um, but I guess before we uh, get your dive in here, uh, have you been brewing anything lately? No, but I have stuff to make a uh, batch of cherry wine downstairs as soon as I'm done talking with you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That sounds awesome. And one nice thing about this is winemaking is a little bit less upfront time-wise. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. No boil. Awesome. That's that's even better. Like especially if you're you're in a time crunch and you just want to make something. That yes. sounds awesome. Um, homebrew wise, for me, uh, not a whole lot's been going on. Uh, we got uh, the the pale ale that I brewed with uh, Miles and Eric the other day. I think that was the last episode that we had. Um, uh, that that is now done and in kegs. Uh, it turned out pretty well. Um, Needs a like we we ended up adding the hops a little little bit later than I li- than I would like to so there's not quite that that bitterness punch uh, that that I want there's no like lingering hop character uh, it's all in the aroma a little bit in the flavor and then it fades away really quickly uh, so there's nothing just holding it there um, but other than that uh, big mango notes uh, we ended up calling it uh, Pomona's Magnifera uh, Pomona is the Roman goddess of uh, fruits and orchards, and Magnifera is the Latin genus for mangoes. So, kind of work together there. All right. Um. So, I guess why don't we just dive right into this wine topic? Uh, I'm I'm really excited to get going here uh, on this, just because I know nothing about wine. So. As from from a brewer's perspective, what are the big like main differences? Actually, you're from where you're getting your source of fermentables is the one of the biggest differences. Okay. But if you can make beer, you can make wine. See, it's just as easy. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, so you know all the all like the the Vinter versus Brewer uh, debate really isn't really shouldn't be one. There's no there's no huge difference there. Not as far as I'm concerned, but that's why it's a hobby. Yep. Okay. Um, so what what do you need to make wine? So if you have everything for home brewing, you probably have everything uh, to make wine. But if you had nothing, what would you need? Pretty much everything you would have for brewing beer, except for the uh, brew kettle. Okay. So no. So you don't need a brew kettle. So you can basically go straight into the fermentation chamber. Yes. Really. Awesome. Yes. Uh, so just like, is it, do you, like, is glass necessary? You can, you do the same thing with, uh, or can you use like plastic buckets and stuff with wine? 
I actually use plastic. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. Um, but what I would recommend is if you're going to do wine, I would try to stick with one set of plastic just for the wine so you don't have any chance of pulling any, any hops over. I suppose hopped wine probably isn't the greatest thing. No, that might be considered blasphemy to make wine at <laughs> a different manner. I could see that. Um, yeah. So how many so how many batches of wine have you made like i guess ballpark it like when did when did you start brewing and then how long from when you started brewing to making your first wine i started brewing beer four years ago and wine three years ago okay so about a year in uh was there oh go ahead no go right ahead uh was was there any reason you decided to jump into wine actually i wanted to start making wine as an anniversary gift for my wife your first year anniversary. All right, that's that's as good a reason as any. <laughs> She's putting up with you making a mess in the kitchen all the time. Yes, sir. But now she she doesn't even drink it, so I'm drinking both. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, that I mean, that's a thumbs up on both sides, right? <laughs> the struggle is real. <laughs> yes, it is. Pretty much, a standard brewer has in their arsenal, you know, the brew kettle. The carboys, whether it be six gallon, five gallon, big old spoon for stirring the, in the kettle. Mm-hmm. The only only real thing that you wouldn't have would be your wine bottles and your corks and corker, which isn't that big of a deal. Okay. Because I've actually put wine in beer bottles, which eh, blasted me, I guess. I mean, it's it's just a vessel to serve it in, right? When yep. it comes down to it. Okay. Have you kegged any wines? Yes, I have. Yeah? How's that? It, Pulling wine off the tap? Oh, that's dangerous on Christmas Eve. <laughs> I filled a three-gallon corny with a green apple wine that I turned into a champagne. It was gone before the night was up, and I was the only one drinking it. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, Christmas morning was rather rough. Yeah, that sounds uh, sounds a little brutal. Like, uh, all right, kids, go go up in the presents. I'm going to just lay on this couch for another three hours. <laughs> Try not to play with toys and make noise. <laughs> oh, you can't find the batteries? Darn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I've helped a few co-workers delve into the winemaking. As a matter of fact, he actually made wine for a wedding that was just this past weekend. He made... 49 bottles of wine. That seems like a lot. Uh, I guess wine bottles are what? 20? No. They're, they're about the same size one, as bottles, right? One and a half liters or 375, depending on the... No, okay. it's 25. It all depends on what size of bottle you want to use. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot of wine. Yeah, because I think the strongest one was like 14%. Yeah, that's like, and that's that's one of the things that always scares me about wine is it can go down super easy, but it sneaks up on you real fast. Yes, it does. Especially if you're used to drinking beer and you're crushing wine like beer, just don't do that. Just, just don't. Hey, uh, I learned that lesson. <laughs> I think we've all learned that lesson at some point or another. I remember my bachelor party. My father-in-law, who is an avid wine drinker, 
was trying to keep up with my brother and I with beer. And at one point in the time, evening, he goes, I think you and your brother have wooden legs. <laughs> that Christmas Eve, I tried to keep up with him with wine, and I just couldn't do it. Uh, yeah. Wow. That sounds great. All right. So I guess back to the winemaking process itself uh, before we get too distracted about, you know, swapping wine drinking stories. Um, so you have uh, so the, the big difference is the fermentable. Uh, and before we started, you said that uh, or even even while we were talking here, you said you don't need a boil kettle. So it's all no boil. Yes. So there's no heating for sanitation or anything like that. No, that's why sanitation is key whenever you're going to be making wine. Okay. Um, I, I guess that that's, yeah, wow. I never, I, I always thought there'd be some sort of heating uh, process in there, but I suppose that might break something down in the grape, in the grape juice or something that you don't want, right? I mean, if you're, if you have something that might be a little bit questionable on whether you have any wild yeast in the juice or whatnot, I always throw like, you can always throw a cabinet tablets in. Okay. And I, I forget how it's like, I forget how many tablets it is per gallon. But what I usually would do is I'd hit that with the cabinet tablets and let it sit for 24 hours so that it can degas naturally. And then I just pitch my yeast okay. into the must. All right. So once once you put the Camden, uh, Camden tablets in, uh, you don't. Uh, I know that uh, you can use those to stop fermentation uh, on the beer side, like if you, or the beer or cider side. Um, I've used it both. Um, like if you wanted to like halt your fermentation at a certain level, but uh, after a couple of days, you can pitch uh, regular Saccharomyces. It's not going to hurt it, right? Yes. Okay. That's been in my experience, at least. Okay. Awesome. Um, so, where do you source uh, the juice? Uh, I've gone everywhere from homebrew shop via kits, homebrew shop where he actually gets juices in from, say, Italy, California, which is really cool. Okay. And I've actually got stuff from the grocery store. Yeah, some uh, some 100% Welch's uh, grape. and A little bit fancier than that. <laughs> I went with the, the Welch's. It was a cherry pomegranate. Okay. That sounds and, really good. And to this day, that is still one of my most popular flavors and most requested flavors. And oh, really? It. Yeah, it was just just so funny because I did that as a joke. <laughs> That's awesome. That's, didn't didn't even a, need to hit it with any cabinet tablets or anything. And just just dumped, dumped a in. bunch into a into a bucket and pitched yeast. Yep. Hey, I've done I've done a couple of ciders like that. It's always it's always fun when stuff like that turns out. Then, but then you also feel bad, like, all right, everyone liked this one that took me no effort, but I put all this effort into this one, and nobody cared for it. What the that's hell? The to, that's the ones to keep for yourself, right? But you know, when you when you want a crowd pleaser, everyone, so you want some somebody to you know appreciate the hard work, or I guess you pass off the cheap stuff or the the easy one and be like, you know, I slaved over a kettle for hours, stomped the grapes <laughs> myself. Well, I can't give away too many of my secrets. Oh, on. yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> so, F, is is do you have like a a specific type of yeast that you like to use? Like, how how important is yeast character uh, when we're talking with wine? I'm sure some people would say it's very important. I don't think it's necessarily as important 
Because okay. I like to let my, my juices and that do a lot of the talking instead of getting like specialty flavors from the yeast. Like you have that nice banana clove with dairy yeast. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're not you're not really uh, looking for something that's that's going to be super yeasty in the wine. You kind of want those flavors to be really subdued, something super clean. Uh, do yes. you have do you have a specific yeast that you like to use? Not really. No, just uh, uh, are you uh, dry wine yeast or liquid? I prefer dry. I prefer dry. Okay. Um. So with with the with the wine yeast, I know like they they ferment down a little bit more. So where do your wines usually come in? Are you at like, um, in like the ten percent range, in like the fifteen? That all depends on how much wine, how strong I want the wine to begin with. Okay. If I want something nice, nice dessert wine, that can come in around between three and five. If I really want it nice and light. If I want something that's going to sneak up on you, I've had fifteen percent wine. Okay. Uh, how are you boosting? The, or like, how are, how are you changing the gravities on these? Like, I figured once you have the juice, it, like, and you pitch, that's it. But are you adding sugars in? Yes. Uh, what 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 show? Like, what types of sugars are you uh, are you adding in? That depends on if you want more of a cidery taste or a, a cleaner taste. Okay, so if if you were going for uh, like a cleaner taste, what would you add? <laughs> Yeah, I have to apologize. I had a rough day here. No, that's was, that, that's, like that's the, fine. Uh, like the corn sugar. Okay, so corn sugar, and then if you're looking for something more cidery, would you use like a I'd juice concentrate? Or? I would actually use just table sugar for that. Oh, okay, all right. So it's it's all just uh, all just the sugar. Um, do you like? I know um, for uh, for the few ciders I've done, I've added like uh, uh, concentrated juice to get to boost the sugar content, uh, and then to uh, like get a little bit more of, of that flavor profile. Uh, have you done anything like that? Yes, I've actually taken the uh, frozen concentrate from the grocery store at times to boost the flavor as well as the sugar. Okay, awesome, awesome, very cool. Um, so, I'm trying to think. There, I, I just blanked. I need another glass of beer. Hang on. Well, at least a drink of beer. That helped. All right, <clears throat> so uh, what's your fermentation time looking like? Uh, for so like from from I guess uh, in beer I always go grain to glass but I guess this would be grape to glass. Uh, what's your what's your time looking like? Oh, that also depends on the uh, ABB on that. Okay. Some of the smaller ones I can actually have in two to four weeks. Oh really? Okay, so you're not you're not like there's not a long uh, long leg time, like because a lot of people when they think wine. Um, they're, they're, they're picturing vineyards, oak barrels, and, you know, years and years and years of time. But you're saying we can, we can have a wine in about the same amount of time we're going to have a beer. Yes. If you keep it uh, lower sessionable. Okay. Stuff. So if, if you're, if you're in like the, the eight to 10% range with the wine, then if you're going eight, about eight to 10%, I would say six months to a year. Oh really? Okay. So if you, if you're if we're down in like I guess like so cider or session wine, so like the five six percent, that's your four week range. That would be more than four to six weeks on that. Four to six weeks. Okay. All right. So all right. So then a year for like for like the ten percent or six months to a year, and then so like if you're doing like something fifteen, you're talking a year and a half, two years. Yeah. 
Oh, really? Okay. I don't make anything that big very often, and when I usually do, I make a small one-gallon batch. Okay, and you just kind of set and forget? Yep. All right. Uh, so anything you're aging that long, are you aging that in glass, or are you leaving that in buckets still? Oh, that's definitely glass. Okay, yeah. So you're worried a little bit about the O2 uh, permutation in a bucket. Yes, All right. especially for something that long. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you have you thought about... Uh, well, I guess I I know uh what about like bottle aging the wine? So if you if you had something that long and maybe you haven't experimented with it, this is just something that popped in my head, but so if you have something there and you bottle it after about a year, do you think it will age out properly in the bottles or do you think it'll still taste too young? I actually have some wine down in the basement that's probably 2 years old and it was just something that was 6%. Okay. I just made sure I hit it with different additives to help keep it longer. Okay. So you like, what kind of additives will you, will you add to uh, try to preserve the wine? I usually add uh, potassium metasulfate. Okay. All right. And that, that just helps preserve the flavor. That actually helps keep it from any, that's what I'm looking for. Basically keeps anything else from trying to, take over oh okay so it, it just it, it uh keeps the bugs from get from uh overwhelming uh what you the flavors that you want that's how i was taught okay that might i love this hobby because there's like so many different ways you can handle stuff and oh yeah well i mean you it's you talk to you know four different brewers about you know about one aspect of brewing and you get four different answers yes which sometimes is, even ten Sometimes even 10, because it would be like, well, you could do it this way, or you could do it this way, but I like to do it this way. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Like, this this hobby is just so much fun because of that. You're never done learning everything. Especially the new terminology for the items with winemaking. Oh, yeah, like, uh, what, what are some of the, like, what, what's... I now now I'm curious. Like, what are the, some of the like the fun terminology with winemaking that we don't well, have the, with beer? The most the, the most common, if you have your unfermented beer, that's considered wort, mm-hmm. obviously. But if you have wine, that's considered must. Okay. And your true be- behind in brewing, that's called lees. Okay. So they just they had to make different words for the same darn things. Couldn't have, couldn't let the Germans have all the fun, huh? I guess not. <laughs> um. So, as as a home winemaker, uh, have you like now, like, just is is like the the home winemaking culture? Like, I I don't run into a lot of uh, winemakers. I don't know. Are it, so if if you look at like the wine scene versus the beer scene, there's there's not there's a. Uh, there's a little. There's not a whole lot of like crossover in like the the like. So you have like the more sophisticated like uh, the sommeliers and stuff like that with wine, and for beer you have like the Cicerone program, which isn't nearly as sophisticated. So on the homebrew uh, on the homebrew side, are do you find like a lot of the wine people a little bit more? Um, what's the nice term? Uh, <laughs> the nice term for higher class. Yep. <laughs> well, I, I really can't say that because, but yeah, you have some people that are into it nearly as much as people with brewing that are like you know three tier systems making 
20 gallon batches and here I am. It's like, yeah, I think I had a little bit go. Yeah, this type of wine would be good for the holidays or something like that. Okay. All right, so yeah, so it's pretty much the same as the home brewing scene, uh, and probably a lot of crossover as well. I mean, I feel like once you start fermenting one thing, you just want to keep fermenting all the things. That seems to be a common, common experience. Okay, awesome. Um, I've, I've done the the ciders. I've done the meads. Yeah, meads meads something I haven't I haven't uh, dove into. Uh, too far yet either. It's something I've researched, but uh, honey can be a little bit co- cost prohibitive at times. Yes, which is also another reason why I don't do wines terribly often for that. Oh, really? What's like? Uh, so, like, what's your what's your cost per gallon when, when we're talking wine? Well, that also depends on where you're getting it. Okay. If, for example, if I'm getting from my brew shop whenever he gets his local juices in and uh, Italian juices and California juices it's like the lowest one I've seen is like 65 bucks wow and that's that's for a gallon that is for six gallon okay six gallon uh, that's just pure juice that's nothing else okay so wait, wait besides the juice what else do you need to add into it so you have your stabilizing agents, your yeast, you have your pectin enzyme to help break down some of the, the juices. Okay, so there's, so, so there's more to it than just dumping juice in a bucket and throwing in, uh, throwing in yeast. So, no, but doing what you just said, you can actually yield a, a better result than you would actually think. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, but if you add these other, these other, like the stabilizing agent and the pectin enzyme to break down some of the longer chain sugars, uh, or compounds, I'm not really sure what it does there, but, um, it, it helps yield the, the juice as well as remove some haze that you might have from higher pectin fruits. Okay. All right. So that, so that'll, that'll help you make a better, a uh, better final product. So, yes. okay. So it's almost like, uh. Uh, I I mean maybe like if you're just dumping juice that's like your your extract batch, and if you're adding all this other stuff that's kind of if you're going the all grain route essentially. Yes. Okay. And if you if anyone wants to get into this from a brewing point of view, the best bet would go to your local homebrew shop and actually get some wine kits. And that's usually you're going to get a bag of concentrated juice that you top up with the next amount of gallons of water. Okay. And stir it up, which is where your stainless steel 20-inch spoon comes in handy. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> okay. So, all right, yeah. So it sounds like winemaking, the barrier to entry, especially if you're already brewing, is super low. Yes. So I should do a wine is, I think, what you're telling me. Um, the force is strong with you, Grasshopper. <laughs> but, I mean, for those who don't know, I mean, if I would go through an entire batch here, just breaking down the quick points, basically you would mix up your juices, any adjuncts or ad- adjectives, whatever you want to add to it, and you would let that ferment, usually at a warmer temperature than your ales. But you would let that sit on the primary yeast cake for maybe a week or two and then you'd 
transferred over to a secondary. And then once you get closer to final gravity with that, then you would actually do what they call a degas, which is basically you would just take and agitate it and get all the CO2 out of solution. Oh, okay. Whether it be with a spoon, the degassing wands that you can get at your homebrew shop. I've even actually just gently rocked the carboy to agitate it to get the CO2 out. Oh, okay. And then after you degas that and let it settle down, then you rack that over to your equivalent uh, of like a, be a tertiary, so to speak, in brewing. Hmm. And that's where you can let that sit as long as you want. Okay, so you're you're looking at three vessels, essentially, Basically. start to finish. Okay, um, so is the secondary a lot more important in winemaking than it is in brewing? And I know there's a big debate there. Um, I know Miles uh, is is a big proponent of racking to a secondary, and I'm a big proponent of uh, just leave it in primary and rack off the main yeast cake into your uh, into either your bottling bucket or into your kegs. Um, but is it is it more important in winemaking? That depends on how clear you want your wine. If you're trying to make something just for drinking and you're not really caring about clarity, then okay, you should be good. All right. So if you did if you did primary uh, straight to your tertiary vessel, you think it'll be a lot more uh, cloudy? I suppose if you're, I suppose you know what? I bet it's the degas. Not really, because there sometimes if you actually buy a kit that you can actually get fining agents to add to it. Okay. It'll help drop all that yeast out. All right. Well, and I suppose if you're degassing uh, with a uh, with an agitation method, that's going to uh, knock or knock around that yeast cake at the bottom and put all that yeast back into suspension, which will cloud that's, stuff up. That's again. why I usually let that sit for a couple weeks after I do that. Okay. Um, so after you degas it and you in in your secondary and you leave it sit, aren't you worried about more uh, more CO two forming? No, because whenever you go to rack it over to your tertiary, you're, you're going to lose some of that. And you're going to naturally lose some whenever you have your airlock on there. Okay. All right. So you're just, uh, so most of the stuff that's in solution, then you're not, you're going to lose. It's going to come out of solution because you're not going to be having it sit as cold as you would now, where it would want to hold on to more CO2 mm -hmm. in solution. Okay. Awesome. Um, have you done any, like, uh, any of the carbonated wines? Yeah, I have done carbonated wines in keg. I haven't been brave enough to do it in bottles yet. Yeah, bottle. Well, that sounds terrifying, but yeah, those pressures are insane. Especially if you get a really active yeast that likes to ferment a lot farther down than some ale yeast. Okay. For example, like a champagne yeast, that stuff will just keep eating and eating until you pretty much kill it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and then you're then you're left with an actual bottle bum. Yes. All right, cool. Um, I guess. Do you have any final uh, any final thoughts on home winemaking that you want to leave uh, leave the listeners with? Start out small, have fun, and make sure everything's clean and sanitized. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's no there's no hot stage, so. <laughs> You gotta really, really be careful. 
and your your weight your your lag times are a lot or your wait times are a lot longer so those bag those bugs will have time to fester i mean you'll have more upfront time in in a batch of beer compared to wine but you'll have a couple more steps in wine okay yeah I suppose, yeah, because once once you have the beer in the fermenter, you're pretty much done until it's packaging time. Pretty much, unless you're doing dry hops and stuff like that. I'm getting more into the keg hopping, even though that's a slight digress from our wine topic. But yeah, how are you liking the keg hopping? Uh, I've done it once, and it clogged my keg so bad because I screwed something up somewhere along the line. What I actually do is take one of those four-inch herb balls and I sanitize a coffee filter and I put my hops in that and then put that into the the uh, herb ball for like a tea and actually suspend that from my keg lid. Oh, okay. This way, by the time it's you know, say your keg's halfway gone, your hops is already out of out of the beer. That way, you're not going to pick up any grassy notes. Yeah. Um, do you get enough, uh, like, is there enough surface area there to pick up all the, all the oils and stuff? It depends on how long you let it in there. Okay. Or, and how thirsty you are. <laughs> but I, I personally have noticed whenever I keg hop, the hop aroma seems to last a lot longer than just a straight dry hop in a warmer environment. Okay. Huh, I might have to try that uh, with my with my next batch of uh, of pale ale because if you try uh, that, I'm curious if you end up getting the same results as I do. Yeah, well, so with with the pale ale that we've been doing, it's it's a double dry hop, so we do one at five and one at three um, days out from uh, kegging. So what I might do is just do the three, then keg. Uh, and then suspend from the lid uh, while it's carbonating, and then that might me that might get me my double dry hop flavor that I'm looking for. Or it'll just be a super fresh, delightful hop character. The wine one. Oh, we lost you there for a second, Tom. You back with us? No, I'm here. Can you All right. hear me? Yep. We got you again. One nice thing about the wine is you don't have to wait for your wine to carbonate unless you actually want some type of champagne. Yeah, I suppose you just have to wait for it to finish. And that's that's the hard part with beer, too, is... Yes, it is. There's that, One other there's thing with the time. wine, if you're actually going to put it into bottles, what you put into bottles, I would let that sit for at least a week so you don't get a condition that they call bottle shock, which... I don't really understand it quite enough to explain it to someone else. Okay. All right. So, homework, everybody. Look up Bottle Shock and then email me to explain it in great detail so I don't have to look it up. Or I guess I could look it up, too. I mean, if you want, depending on how much feedback you get on this episode, if you want to go farther into the winemaking, I can do some more research for you and go a little bit farther along with what I do. Yeah, uh, that that would be great. Um, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that off air um, and, uh, and throughout the next couple of weeks here and see how it goes. Um, I know uh, with with Miles's wedding uh, and stuff coming up, uh, we'll probably be seeing a little bit more of you, Tom, uh, and a little bit more of Eric, just so we can. Because I I've thought about sitting here and talking about beer by myself, but then then I got a little sad. 
Because it's just me drinking alone in a basement, talking to a microphone. You're not alone. You have thousands of friends <laughs> in the cup. They didn't all settle out. <laughs> You're right. You're right, they didn't. And, and I'm just bringing them to a slow, excruciating death, <laughs> sip by sip. And a matter of the last time I talked to you about my latest homebrew competition that I came in 13th out of 24, and it was all BJC scoring type deals, mm -hmm. I still have some of that on keg, and I still actually have hop aroma. Oh, really? Yes. That is awesome. That is that is actually really impressive. Matter of fact, I'm hoping to kick that keg here tonight. That sounds like a noble goal. All right, Tom. Well, uh, I think I'm going to let you go here uh, and uh, let the listeners go as well. Um, and uh, yeah, so we will. Uh, let's if I can find the right buttons to press because. My setup is all over the place today. Hey, look at that. I found buttons. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, and thanks again to Tom for helping me out with this episode and sharing uh, some unique insights into homebrew winemaking, something I know very little about, obviously, from listening to this episode. Uh, if you guys have any questions, comments, show ideas, or what have you, go ahead and shoot us an email at feedback at blindnewstudios.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash blindnewstudios. You can follow us on Twitter at blind underscore ninja. If you'd like to support us uh, and you're going to do any Amazon shopping, go ahead and click on the Amazon link at the bottom of our homepage uh, at blindnewstudios.com. Or uh, become a patron today. Go on over to patreon.com slash blindnewstudios. Uh, become a patron. Uh, any little bit helps us, and we really appreciate it. I'll see you guys next week.